May I speak to you in the name of God, who was, who is, and who is to come. Amen. Good morning. My name is Amanda Aches Cardwell, and I am the Missioner for Faith Formation and Development here in the Diocese of Washington. My ministry focuses on the faith lives of children, youth, and young adults. In addition to my role on the bishop's staff, last year I worked closely with Reverend John and Beth Mullen as a coach with attending our Soil Initiative. And last summer, Reverend Katie and I were co-chaplains for a week at summer camp. I have loved working with your wonderful leaders. And I have admired your community from afar for quite some time, so it is a special pleasure to worship with you today and to share God's good news together. One of the perks of working on the bishop's staff is having an office in Church House. The home of the diocesan offices, Church House is located on the Cathedral Close in a building that used to be the bishop's residence. And so whenever Zoom meetings get to be too much or I just need a break, I can pop outside for a quick walk around the beautiful campus, which is home to three Episcopal schools, gardens, and the National Cathedral itself. This allows me to catch my breath and to take in the gorgeous landscaping and architecture all around me. The other day I was out for a lunchtime walk and I decided to just kind of meander along the perimeter of the National Cathedral. I looked up and I saw the carved gargoyles and reliefs featuring the story of creation carved above those strong wooden front doors. I looked at the ornate iron gates and the jewel-toned stained glass windows. And I looked at the bright stone of that building standing out in contrast against the azure blue sky and I felt awe. Plain and simple awe. I think that the disciples must have experienced a similar feeling in our gospel text today as they gazed at the splendor of the temple. Our passage begins with Jesus and his followers in the temple complex where Jesus had just been teaching. During a lull, the conversation turned to the amazing structure that they were in. And it was amazing, truly. At that time, the temple had recently been refurbished by Herod the Great. The rebuilding project had taken 80 years to complete and included new foundation walls through which Herod had significantly enlarged the temple. Sparing no expense, he employed the most talented artisans to use the best materials for the project, such as massive chunks of white marble, Babylonian tapestries made of fine linen and gold and silver-plated fixtures. It was stunningly magnificent, an architectural masterpiece. So imagine the disciples' shock when instead of agreeing with their observations, Jesus predicts the temple's destruction. Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down, he says. 
what a horrifically unimaginable thought. All that majesty, all the time that it took to build, all that the temple represented to the people, destroyed. That would have been incomprehensible. It would have been even more incomprehensible than the complete destruction of the Washington National Cathedral would be to us today. And that's because the temple wasn't just a magnificent building. It wasn't just a colossal structure decked out in majesty and beauty. It was the religious and cultural home of the Jewish people. And most importantly, it was where God, God's self, lived. The holy of holies in the temple, the innermost chamber of the temple, physically housed the Ark of the Covenant. It was where the Jewish people believed God's spirit actually dwelled. No building in our modern consciousness could equate. The temple was the rooted, connected center of the Jewish people's identity and of their relationship with God. Without it, they would experience an existential crisis. It had happened before. The Babylonians destroyed the first temple in Jerusalem in 586 BCE. With the destruction of their temple and their capital city, the Jews went into exile, where they questioned who they were as a people without their relationship to the temple. Who and where was God to them if not dwelling in the temple? The Jews were able to return to Jerusalem, and once they did, they built a second temple there on the same spot. And that second temple was the one that Herod had made so strong, so grand, so that no one would dare destroy it again. It might have happened before, but it wouldn't happen a second time, not to Herod's temple. And yet, here we have Jesus saying that it would. And we know Jesus was correct. The second temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 CE. The unimaginable would happen again. And the Jewish people would face those same questions they struggled with while in exile in 586. Likewise, at this point, the Jewish Christians also struggled with those questions of identity and relationship with God when calamity struck the temple and their early community. Jesus knows that when calamity strikes, we are fragile. When we lose something we thought that we would never lose, we can become vulnerable and lost in our own state of exile. When the thing that we put our confidence in is gone, we're left in a lurch. And so Jesus warns his disciples not to be led astray. The disciples asked Jesus when the temple would be destroyed. And instead of giving them a date or a time or even signs, as he does later in today's gospel text, Jesus' first response to his followers was a warning. Beware that you are not led astray. Many will come in my name. Do not go after them. When the unthinkable happens, where do you turn? Who do you turn to? 
When the thing that you put your confidence in, whether it's a building like the temple or a person, maybe a loved one, when that thing is gone or threatened, to whom do you go? When you are vulnerable and face an identity crisis, how do you cope? When questions arise in your heart, what do you do? Jesus bids his followers and us to listen to his voice. When we face the unbearable, the unimaginable, he instructs us not to be led astray. Remember who you are and whose you are. Apocalyptic texts like the one we hear today become more frequent in our lectionary cycle as we reach the end of the liturgical season after Pentecost and as we approach Advent. Though their imagery is daunting, they're not meant to elicit fear. They're meant to instill trust. In the face of change and destruction, God is with us. God in Jesus meets us in a new way, an incarnate way. In Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, God reminds us that no calamity can separate us from God. No matter how big, no matter how terrible, no matter how personal or painful, God is with us. Even when all seems lost, God invites us to dwell with and in God. Do not be led astray, Jesus says. Keep your focus on Christ. Through every catastrophe, cataclysm, and crisis, Christ is with us and Christ is for us. In every identity crisis, God is near. When the unimaginable happens, and it will happen to each of us, when it happens, remember nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Changes will come. Sometimes unimaginable changes. And even so, we are invited to rest in the eternal changelessness of God. Amen.